The following message is from Life Source Christian Church MP3 Audio Lounge. More information about Life Source is available at lifesource.org.au. My title this morning is We Have Overcome the Song of Champions. We have overcome the song of champions. I've got a scripture I want to read to you from Revelation chapter 12, verse 11. And that's the theme this morning of, of, uh, we have overcome. It's the song of champions. And when champions sing the song of victory, the song they sing is, we have overcome. Because you can't be a champion without overcoming. And this is the song that they'll sing in heaven. And, um, and, and here it is in Revelation chapter 12 verse 11. And they overcame him. Who's him? That's the enemy. The, the one who's against us. They overcame him by the blood of the lamb and by the word of their testimony. And they did, they did not love their lives to the death. So why did I pick this verse? Because to this point, probably my favorite part of the Olympics was not Australia winning a medal, but in actual fact, it was the Fijian team winning their first gold medal. Who was able to see the Rugby Sevens and see the Fijian team win their first medal? It, it's, uh, Fiji has never won a medal in all the history of the Olympics, and uh, they actually won a gold for rugby. And, um, and the whole nation came to a standstill. The it, Fiji just closed down. The banks closed down. If you wanted to get money out, bad luck. You were you were out of luck that day because the whole nation stopped for the this this gold medal. It was Fiji against Great Britain in the rugby sevens, and um, and they thrashed Great Britain, absolutely smashed the stuffing out of Great Britain, much to our delight because Great Britain beat us at uh, rugby uh, sometime. I can't remember when because I've blotted it out of my memory. But uh, but uh, the, the banks were supposed to close for half an hour for the end of the game, but they stayed closed. There was a national holiday. Everybody rejoiced. And, um, and then at the end of of the match when, when Fiji won, the team gathered together in a circle and they actually brought in their coach who wasn't of the same ilk of them, but you can tell who the coach is. And, uh, and they did this. This is, have, have a look at, have, have, have any of you seen their celebration after the game? This is the Fijian team after winning the game. Can we just play the video? I just love that. Come on, give them a great big round of applause. 
We have overcome by the blood of the Lamb and the word of the Lord. We have overcome. And and if you want to win your race, you've got to understand that point number one is that you've got to overcome your obstacles. You can't win without overcoming. There's, you, you just can't win without overcoming some obstacles. And, and I love the fact that the biggest obstacle for Vigi was that they'd never won an Olympic medal of any type, but they overcame, they overcame that obstacle. They did not let that, that overcome them. The other fact that they're probably, um, just seen as a very small, insignificant nation, not even, I mean, most people wouldn't even call them a nation, they call them an island. It's an island of the Pacific, but that was an obstacle they overcame. When you've got nations like Australia, juggernauts of rugby, uh, the Wallabies go, the Wallabies. You've got Great Britain, another juggernaut. You've got South Africa, another juggernaut. You've got Argentina, Spain, uh, France, even Italy. But he's Fiji and a little island. But they weren't going to let that stop them. They overcame their obstacles. You know, the other thing about Fiji is that there's no superstars amongst them. There weren't any superstars at all. Matter of fact, when you analyze who the team were made up of, they were made up of policemen, um, wardens of jails, laborers, bus drivers, just ordinary blokes that decided they want to play the game of rugby and went to the Olympics and beat the juggernauts. They beat the, the champion teams, the champion nations. They, they, they overcame and, uh, and, and I love that. They didn't come from fancy, sophisticated schools of rugby. They were just people with a big heart, with a big passion. Come on. You want to overcome. You've got to overcome your obstacles. You know, everybody has obstacles. But only champions overcome their obstacles. What obstacle are you facing right now? Are you letting your obstacle becoming bigger than you? Or are you saying, no, I'm bigger than my obstacle? Because obstacles is something that you have to overcome. I can remember when I started ministry. I was 21 years of age. And the biggest obstacle for me was my age. I know now it's an advantage, but back then when you're 21 and you don't have a lot of experience in life, it became an obstacle. And, uh, and, and I can remember reading in the Bible where Paul's writing to Timothy saying, Timothy, let no one despise your youth. And that no one, the biggest despiser is yourself. You have to overcome those obstacles. What obstacle are you facing? Some of you, you're facing the obstacles of your past. Some, some of you are facing the obstacle of your nationality. Some of you are facing obstacles of, of what's happened in your life. Some of you are facing obstacles of divorce. There's so many obstacles that the enemy wants to, wants to enlarge and make bigger than what it is. And you've got to confront it and say, no, I'm bigger than my obstacle. You've got to overcome your obstacle. If you want to win, you've got to overcome your obstacle. That's point number one. Point number two is this. If you want to win your race, you need to do it by getting God's help. I love the fact that when you get to the end, it's not really the end. That's when God takes over. And so many of us get to a place where we run out of steam. We run out of strength. 
we run out of our, our, our ability. And that's when you need God's help. Come on. That's when God steps in. That's when you need to start calling upon the name of the Lord. That's when you need to start reaching out and saying, you know what? I can't do this anymore. I'm at the end of my rope. And that's when it's time to ask for God's help. And can I just say to you that when you understand that when you get to the end, it's not really the end because God takes over. That's when you're able to relax. And that's when you're able to to say that phrase that's become synonymous with our church now, God's got it. Because when you've got it, then it's your strength. But when you get to the end of your strength, that's when you need to say, God's got it. God's got it. Come on. I want everybody to say it together. God's got it. Come on. Say it one more time. Turn to the person next to you and say, God's got it. Absolutely. Now say it to your heart. Put your hand on your heart and say, God's got it. Because too often what happens is that, is that we don't understand how we can get to the end. We just don't know what it all holds. But one thing that we do know is that God holds it together. God's got it. And uh, when you study history, what you see is that the world throughout history confronted some challenging times. Uh, I I mean, you know, we we went through a stage in history where the plague destroyed a third of Europe. A third of Europe got destroyed through through the plague. And it's like that to them would have been the end of the world. Whole cities were devastated. You know, people died um, just by, by the millions. And it's like, well, this thing is going to destroy the world. Well, it didn't destroy the world because the world is still going on. It was a disaster that had a start. It was a disaster that had a finish date. It started, it finished. Now we talk about it as a thing in history. When Paul was writing the New Testament, the Roman Empire was ruling the planet. And they were pretty, they they were very severe. They did a lot of good. They did a lot of bad as well. They persecuted Christians. Christians uh, were, were killed in theaters all over the world for the sake of sport. But how many of you know now the Roman Empire is just a history lesson. It's finished. It's over. But during Paul's time, it was the most powerful force upon the planet. And, and and some of us right now are in the stage where, where, where we're looking at fundamentalist Islam and we're saying this thing is just taking over the planet. Can I just tell you, it's got to start, it's got to finish. It's got a finish date because God is more powerful than any fundamentalist group. These, these things have a start, they have a finish, but don't let your heart become fearful with the day and age. Don't let your heart become fearful because God's got it. And when you understand that, then you get to a place where you begin to call for help. You begin to say, Lord, it's not by might, it's not by power, but it's by your spirit. I love what Jeremiah 33 verse 3 says. It says, call to me and I will answer you. Come on. Sometimes God takes a little bit of time to answer. How many of you discovered that? How many of you get frustrated when God doesn't answer immediately? I tell you, I just want God to answer me immediately. But sometimes God takes a bit of time to answer. But it does not counteract the fact that God says, call to me and I will answer you. It might not be as quickly as you want, 
but I will answer you. It mightn't come just at the flick of your fingers, but I will answer you. And, and I know that Anne and I have been praying some prayers now that have, that have, that have been going on for over a decade. Uh, some of you have been praying prayers that have been going on for multiple decades and you still haven't heard, but it does not counteract the fact that God will answer you, will answer you. And you're saying, well, hurry up, God, hurry up, hurry up, God. How many of you get into that point where you say, come on, God, hurry up, hurry up, come on, come on, God, hurry up. This thing is just, it's just, it's just very frustrating. But you know what? God has a way that's bigger than our way. And God has a plan that's bigger than our plan. And sometimes what happens is that we try to dictate to God the way we want something to finish. We try to tell God, this is how we want it to finish. And what we've got to do is to say, God, I'm just going to trust you. Because I really don't have the full picture. I've only got just one piece of the jigsaw puzzle. But you see the big picture. And your ways are higher than my ways. And I'm just going to trust you. I'm going to call upon you. I'm going to ask for your help. But I'm going to trust you that the way you're going to help me It might not be the way that I want it helped, but it is your help coming my way. Folks, that's where faith and trust come in. And and can I just say to you that that's probably the most powerful thing that a human being can do is just to trust God and just have faith in God. And uh, it's it's just an amazing thing that sometimes you're confronting the death of a loved one. And, and you think, how's this going to end? How's this going to work out? Well, when I, when I faced the death of my father quite a few years ago, it was one of the most devastating experiences of my life. And I was thinking, how's my mum going to cope? How, how are we going to cope as a family? You know, my, both my sister and I live in Sydney. Mum lives in Newcastle. How are we going to cope with her by herself? And you know what? God has been able to make a way where there is no way. God was able to work through situations where I could not see how it was going to end up. And now we look back and we say, God, you had a plan, bigger than our plan. And even though this thing was such a devastating loss to us, and even though this thing just broke our heart, we've been able to navigate through it. And we've been able to see your hand at work. We've been able to see you do things that we couldn't see because we trusted you. And when we say, call upon the name of the Lord, he will answer you. He does answer, but not always the way we want it done. Another another verse that I love is Psalm 46 verse 1. God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble. Come on, every, come on, why don't we say this together? Let's, let's say it all together. God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble. How many of you have ever been in trouble? How many of you maybe are in trouble right now? Don't put up your hands. Ah, don't put up your hands. But here it is. If you're in trouble, he's a very present help. Right now, he is available to help you. Are you calling upon his name? Are you asking for help? Are you getting God's help? Because I tell you, it's one of the greatest things to get God's help. 
It is a great thing. You know, one of the words that we got before we went on, and got a very specific word that don't worry about anything that happens because God's going to help you. God's going to make a way where there is no way. God's, God, God's going to help. And so it was really interesting. We turn up at, um, at uh, the airport in Vienna to catch the flight to Slovakia. And so we're preaching that night. And, um, and so we get to the airport to get on the flight and, 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 uh, the lady, the, the, at the desk says, uh, I'm sorry, but, um, your seats aren't booked and, um, there are no seats for you. And so as soon as Anne heard that, she started to panic. She started to look across the desk and said, we have to be in Slovakia tonight. We have a family camp. This cannot be that there are no seats on the plane for us. And so, uh, and so the lady says, I'm sorry, but your seats aren't booked. There are no seats for you on the plane. And, and then I turned to Anna and I said, didn't you just get a word that God's got this? Didn't you just get a word that, and you could almost see that in the midst of that trouble, remembering the word just settled. And I could see just a change come upon her. Yes, God's got this. Immediately, God's got this. Well, about three minutes before we were ready to fly, uh, before the plane left, they came up to us and said, oh, by the way, there are some seats that are available for you. Here they are. <laughs> and, uh, and we got there and were able to do it. But you know what? You've got to go through life with a word that God's got this and that God has a way where there is no way and that no matter what the news is that's coming your way, God is a very present help in your trouble and that will settle your spirit. Some of you need to hear that word today because some of you just got some bad news. Some of you just got some news that's ripped your heart out and here it is. He is a very present help in time of trouble. Another verse that I love is Hebrews 4, 15 to 16. Just this incredible, beautiful scripture that encourages me so much that says, seeing then that we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus Christ, the son of God, let us hold fast our confession. For we do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weakness, but was in all points tempted as we are yet without sin. Let us therefore come boldly to the throne of grace that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need. Come on. God wants to help you in time of need. But what's your confession today? Is your confession a confession that says God's going to help me? Or is your confession a confession that says it's all over? It's finished. What, what, what are you speaking out of your mouth? Are you saying God's got it? Or are you saying the situation's got it? Are, are you, are, are, have you got in your mouth the word of the Lord that says, no matter what comes my way, God is going to turn this around for good? Because that's just an awesome thing. And you know what I decided a long time ago? That uh, not only has God got it, but I'm going to get into God's slipstream and just go with the flow. Not fight it, but just get into that slipstream and just go with the flow. And saying, you know what, if I can't change the situation, then I'm just going to get into God's slipstream and go through the situation. There are certain things that I can change. And if I can change something, then I'll do all that is within me to change. 
change it. But if I can't change it, then I've just got to relax and get into the slipstream of God and go through it. And with God's help, we overcome. So you win your race by overcoming obstacles. You win your race by getting God's help. And number three, you win your race by keeping a hot heart and a cool head. I love that because that was the coach's advice to that Fijian team. He said to them, when you get on that field, keep your heart hot and your head cool. Keep your heart hot and your head cool. That was the coach's word of advice. I reckon it's a great word of advice for a whole stack of us. Keep your heart hot and your your head cool. Because what happens when your heart is on fire for God then your heart's on fire for God's purpose for your life. Your heart's on fire to love God and love people. And when situations come, then because your heart is hot, your head is cool. But what happens with a lot of people is that their heart grows cold and they get hot heads. And when you've got a hot head and a cold heart, how many of you know that you have a recipe for disaster. How many of you have seen hot-headed people with cold hearts? I tell you, it's just so easy to lose the passion out of your heart. It's so easy to lose your first love. And this is, you know, when you read the last, the three, the first three chapters of the last book of the Bible, there's Jesus writing to the seven churches of Asia. One of the things that he says is don't lose your first love. Don't lose that hot heart. Don't lose that passion. Don't lose it because it's so easy to lose it. It's so easy to let the fires go out. And uh, I'm telling you, keep, keep your heart hot. Keep your heart hot for things that are important in your life. You know, And make sure that you stoke the fires for that. Make sure that you stoke the fires for that which is important to you. One of the things that is really important to us is uh, not only a love for God, but a love for each other, a love for the church, a love for, for, for marriage. Anne and I constantly stoke the fires of romance in our marriage. We've been married for 35 years, but are more in love now than we've ever been before. And, uh, and so, but one, one of the things that we do is that we make sure that we stoke those fires, that we keep our heart hot towards each other and, and, and keep your heart hot towards God, the things of God. Don't let all the stuff of life put out the fire in your life. Don't, you know, how many of you know that, that, uh, you, you know, that there's so many things that happen that can put out the fire? Don't let a fence get into your heart because as soon as a fence get into your heart, it'll make your heart cold. It'll make your heart hard. And how many of you know it's really easy to get offended? It's really easy to get offended with the people that you love, let alone the people that, that you struggle to love. You know, and so all of a sudden then you, you become bitter and you become bitter towards people. I know some people that just want to stay away from people because of a fence. It's like, yeah, I don't want anything to do with people anymore. And it's like, why, why would you make that decision in life? Because all of a sudden you've let your heart grow cold. And a cold-hearted person is not a nice person to be with. You want nice people to be with, then warmth and, and heart and, and all that sort of stuff is so important. Then it's, it's really important that you don't let your head get hot. Because hot-headed people 
always make wrong decisions. How many of you, how many of you know that when you look at your life and you analyze the bad decisions you made, it was probably when you were hot-headed. Is that right? I, I know when I look at my life and I look at some of the bad decisions I made, it's because I allowed my head to get hot and my heart to get cold. And that's a bit of advice for you is keep your heart hot and your head cool. And let me tell you, you'll make some great decisions. Let me finish this morning as uh, as you come, Amelia, by saying this. The thing that I love, as I said about the Fijian team winning their first Olympic gold was number one. They did these three points. They overcame their obstacles. They got God's help and they kept their heart hot and their head cool. I think it's great advice for all of us, but I love the way that they sang that song at the end. Not only did they sing the song, we've overcome by the blood of the lamb and the word of the Lord, but then they started praying in tongues and praying in the spirit in front of the whole wide world. They gave the most Christian testimony that I've ever seen at the Olympic Games. Has anybody seen a greater Christian testimony than the Fijian team? But you know what impacted me the most about that was that 200 years ago, Fiji was a pagan nation. 200 years ago, these people were cannibals. 200 years ago, these people were into ancestor worship. They were into killing each other. They were into eating the flesh of their enemies. That was what they were into. But someone decided, we need to share the gospel with these people. And Australian missionaries went over to Fiji in 1835. 1835, some Wesleyan missionaries left Australia and said, we need to go to the cannibals of the islands of the Pacific and share Jesus with them. In 1857, one of these Australian missionaries called Reverend Thomas Baker actually got killed and was eaten by a tribe of cannibals in Fiji. And um, But his martyrdom actually turned things around and, um, and more took his place. And after a while, what happened was that village chiefs started to get saved. Matter of fact, the Guinea's Book of Records, uh, how many of you ever read the Guinea's Book of Records? If you, if you look under cannibalism, there's still a Fijian chief that has the highest number of people that he's eaten. And uh, he used to, yeah, yeah, he used to keep record of how many people that he'd eaten. It's, I, I know that it's, it's a pretty gross subject to talk about in church. But, but you know, the, the thing that amazes me is that what motivates somebody to go to a tribe of cannibals to share the gospel with them, knowing that you could very well be eaten? What, what motivates you? And I, and I think what motivated them was, was how it talks about overcoming the enemy, not just by the blood of the lamb and the word of the testimony, but the third part is they did not love their lives to the death. In other words, they weren't afraid to die for the sake of the gospel. Well, some of us, not only are we afraid to die, we're afraid of even what people say, let alone what people do to us. Some of us are afraid to open our mouth just in case someone rejects us. Oh, that's the end of the world if they reject what we're wanting to say. You've got to overcome some of that sort of stuff. Come on. You've got to have 
a hot heart that overcomes some of that sort of stuff, to be able to share Jesus with people. Because there's a confidence that maybe if I share Jesus with people, their whole lives might be transformed. Not only may their lives be transformed, but their whole nation can get transformed to a point where in front of the whole world, these guys link arms. Big. How many of you know rugby plays are big? You just don't get small, skinny rugby plays. How many of you know that if you're small and skinny, maybe rugby is not the sport for you? How many of you have already worked that one out? If you're small and skinny, stick to cricket, stick to tiddlywinks, stick to marbles, but stay away from rugby because you're going to get mowed down. These guys are big guys. They're huge guys. But you know what? Here they are on the sports field with tears pouring down their face. By the blood of the Lamb and the word of the Lord, we have overcome. Thanks for listening to this message from Life Source Christian Church MP3 Audio Lounge. We invite you to visit us online at lifesource.org.au to find out more about our church and to also access other free resources.